Warning. What you're about to hear may contain mature language, adult situations, and depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Princess is walking past. And then so What's her favorite just... Albert Pune movie? What's your favorite Albert Pune movie, Francis? What? What's your favorite Albert Pune movie? Boo. Is that like, is there like, are you just like the whole catalog? They're all your favorites? Don't misquote me. <laughs> Hello, everyone. It's the Trash Sheep Podcast. I'm Elliot, joined as always by Keith. Hello. How are you doing today, Keith? Well, buddy, it's a, it's a somber mood here at the historic Trash Heap Studios. As we Why mourn the recent passing of filmmaker Albert Pune, mm-hmm. who you might remember from such films as Cyborg, the original Captain America movie, <laughs> The Sword and the Sorcerer. That's it. That's mean guns. <laughs> mean guns. No, he was one of the first guys to put wrappers uh, into action movies, which would later oh, yeah. become like kind of a thing. Vicious Lips is a movie he made. You might, Heat you... Seeker. So, okay, who we're going to talk about Albert Pune, who he is, what he's done. He had, yeah, Cyborg is definitely his biggest movie, Jean-Claude Van Damme. But he had some other ones. In a lot, you know, I think you, Keith, are a bigger Albert Pune fan overall than I am. But in a lot of ways, like you've definitely seen more movies of his than me. In a lot of ways, he represents a spirit of the trash heap, you know, someone just out there loving movies, making movies, regardless of talent or ability. Yeah. For the love of the game, for the love of the game, 100%. This was a guy who, Jesus, between 1982 and 2017, he made like, I don't know, what is this? 30 or 40 films. Many of them terrible. Oh, yeah. But some of uh, them actually kind of brilliant. The majority of them terrible. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's a few gems in there. And once again, just his spirit, I think, is what what we what we mainly what we like about him, at least for me. You know, it's just like you listen to this guy talk and he just loves making movies. Yeah. And he, he, loves would, he was kind of infamous for making multiple movies at once. Yeah. Like if he was think... working on a set or something and it shut down for the weekend, he would go in and start shooting another movie using that set. Like that is a guy uh, who just loved working and loved crafting movies, which is awesome. I think there he had like a certain level of delusion at times as well about like the movies he was, he was making or where he fit into cinema history. But not in a, and I don't say that to put him down. I'm just saying it's more like a starry-eyed, like, I did it, Mom. I'm making the pictures, you know? No, this was a guy who is going to keep working regardless of uh, success. You know who he kind of reminds me of is I'm sure you, Keith, and a lot of people, I mean, it was a very popular documentary when it came out, but that remember that documentary, American Movie? Yes. About the guy trying to fund and make his short movie about witches yeah he has a, a similar energy not personality necessarily but energy to that guy where he's just like regardless of skill ability resources i'm gonna make this movie and he reminds me of that guy from that documentary actually went on and made movies instead of just doing this thing in his backyard albert pune took the next step after after that yeah, so real quick, his kind of background in film, he was a military kid, bounced around until settling in Hawaii, then he started making little 8mm and 16mm, you know, movies just, uh, you know, messing around. Kind of a, a very common story for a lot of the directors that kind of emerged in the 1980s, right? You hear all the stories of, like, John Carpenter, Toby Hooper, et cetera, et cetera. Like, these guys were just messing around with cameras that their parents had or whatever and made little movies in their backyard and he kind of did the same and then eventually he went to school and later on became like an editor for commercials and after doing that for a while he was like okay let's make the jump 
and went to uh, Los Angeles to become a feature film director. And he made feature films. There's a quote. So he made a lot of movies for the studio Canon, which is yeah. like an infamous, infamous B-movie studio. Did a lot of like Chuck Norris, uh, Van Damme movies. A lot of like schlocky sci-fi and horror yeah, movies. Fantasy, barbarian, sorcery movies. All that good stuff. But All would the it, stuff we like. But would, it, but would occasionally make a large budget movie with a big star in it every now and then yeah like uh didn't you know? they make one of the superman movies they yeah that which was like that they did the last one when they bought the rights to that and that one is very like cheap and schlocky looking <laughs> but yes they did they did a, a superman example. movie but no they also did like some stallone movies like cobra and over the top you know which those uh, are yeah big maybe not big hollywood productions but they were big releases at least big releases you vehicles. know like had a large budget life toby hooper's life force you know that movie kind of flopped but it was posed as a big release and had high budget it looks uh, like a big release i was watching some clips from that what a fucking looker of a movie well say like i really like that movie and say what you want about like i know there's 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 people who love it hate it like you can't deny that that movie looks like a million bucks yeah I was once watching. There's a really great documentary. I can't. The, the name of it escapes me. But a documentary about Canon Films. Oh yeah. And in one, there's a clip from. There was two guys who ran the studio, and he, there's a cl- cl- clip from him in, in it saying, "He goes, you know, sometimes we we make movies. Sometimes we make good movies. Sometimes we make not so good movies. But we do make movies." <laughs> <laughs> and that is Albert Pune. Yeah, that's Sometimes it, man. He makes, that's it. Just keep shooting. Yeah, he does make movies. He just he never stopped and he kept going. And I was looking over his filmography, you know, in preparation for this episode yesterday. And man, he made so much stuff. And he made things that it's like, huh? Like he made you know that movie Streets of Fire from like though it's a Walter Hill movie from the eighties. It's got Michael Pare and Rick Moranis and Diane Lane. Yeah, it's kind of it. kind of infamous, pretty well known. It's kind of like a rock opera like action movie. He made a sequel to that movie in 2008. Why? That looks like complete dog shit. It looks atrocious. But yeah. I was just like, what? There's a sequel to this movie? And Albert Pune made it in 2008? Like, the whole thing is shot in front of a green screen and not even, like, stylistically like a, like Sin City or something. It just, it looks like a Tim and Eric skit. No, and a true testament to, like, yeah. that, that spirit, though. Uh, this guy was willing to make a movie however he could. Yes. Right. Without a DP, without any like notion of production or anything, he's literally like, "If I can put this whole thing together myself, single-handedly, I'm gonna do it." Which is too bad because it's a real. It, I mean, that's also a testament to the importance of having a good crew and the fact that we give so, directors so much credit when it really is like it's the director as captain of the ship, but it's everybody right. else supporting him that also makes the movie what it is, right? Absolutely. And I think that's one of the interesting things about like how we view directors too. Cause like, yeah, maybe it's not necessarily just what they're doing, but like, are they bringing in a good editor? Are they bringing in a good DP? In a sense, like you have to be also be able to make those smart decisions, you know? Yes, exactly. Like, you, you, have to, you have to be able to recognize this is the wrong guy for the job. This guy should be doing it, et cetera. And then there's, you know, directors, you know, who, uh, know every aspect of filmmaking you know you look at like peter jackson's early work and he like he was very adept at making stuff on micro budgets right yeah and why it's because he knew how to sh- sh- film he you know he knew how to shoot the movie himself he knew how to operate the camera he knew how to make the special effects he knew how to edit he was it like he had such a knowledge of filmmaking that like at every step of the way he could be like, okay, this is going to be fine. I don't have to worry about this coming back to bite me because I know how I'm going to fix it later rather than relying on someone else. Right. And then you, yeah, you encounter people that's kind of like, if they have a good team around them, they're probably going to do okay. If they have a bad team, they may not, they might get overwhelmed and not be able to handle it. Uh, we will probably talk a lot about Cyborg, but I'm curious, was that your first introduction to his movies? Or was there something else? And it could be something you retroactively learned was an Albert Pune movie. You didn't have to realize it at the time. Was there something else that introduced you to his films before you seen Cyborg? 
and then moving on to other stuff. It's a little fuzzy for me, but at the time, like being young and not having cable, I watched a lot of just shitty sequels and garbage movies right. on like Sunday afternoon television and things like that. I don't think I ever have seen The Sword and the Sorcerer in its entirety, and I don't think that was on television much. But during the time that I would have seen Cyborg on television, not when it came out, I could have also seen like a Kickboxer 2 or Omega Doom even. So it's funny that you brought up specifically Sword and the Sorcerer because that is definitely my first exposure to Albert Pune. Really? Well, it's funny too because I, as a movie, I had this memory from being very small and watching something on TV and not knowing what the name, not knowing what the movie was. I couldn't remember the name of the movie. I was just like, I watched this movie when I was a really little kid and had, it was like a sword and like, you know, medieval knights and shining armor wizards type movie. And I just remembered specifically that the guy had a sword that shot other swords out of it. <laughs> yeah, the four bladed sword. Right. And I thought that was the coolest thing. So for years, I was trying to figure out what this movie was. And then, you know, decades later, stumbled upon The Sword of the Sorcerer somewhere, like in a video store, and like picked up the box and I was like, that's the sword. That's the sword that shot other swords. And I still haven't rewatched the movie, but that was my first exposure. It's my such a great looking movie. Oh, yeah. I've watched trailers and clips from it, and it's like that that wall of screaming human faces. Yeah. It's a cool-looking, like... Cool, like, neon lights and, like, rotoscoped, yeah. like, glowing effects. And... and this came out at the same time, like, the at the height of these, like, kind of, like, uh, sorcery medieval epics. Like, this came out the same year as Conan the Barbarian, and... Because there's a whole slew of movies yeah, and like it, this you from know, that area. It's wild because that remains his highest money-making film. Yeah. Like the week that it fir- opened, it came in film. second. Yeah, it's his first film, you know? And that seems also, also seems to be like one of the ones that he had. Like the, It's not a huge budget movie, I don't think, but it, definitely one of his higher budgets for sure. Uh, at least in terms of, you know, the movies he generally made. Yeah. And, there was definitely like a flair to it and potential there. So yeah, that was my first. Can I cut you off just real quick? Absolutely, yes. With off the success, I I, I hope this is true. Off the success of Sword and the Sorcerer, Pune was attached to several science fiction projects in 1984, including Total Recall, which at the time William Hurt was attached to Star. Can you fucking imagine Albert Pune's Total Recall starring William Hurt. That's so weird. I could sit and like contemplate that all day. What a completely different beast that would have been. Yeah. Holy shit. Oh, I was just going to say my second semi-exposure was I remember right before like the Ninja Turtles movie came out, like the original one, getting some sort of like science fiction magazine that had like that was the cover story was this right so you know I was like going through it and had all these like pictures behind the scenes of the puppets and whatnot like but it also had in that same issue a little thing about Albert Pune's Captain America movie and also about the uh, upcoming Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie mm-hmm. and I remember being so stoked that they were making both of those movies yeah. and then those movies never came out yeah and. At that time and age, I didn't understand, like, direct-to-video or, like, stuff like that. I just assumed, well, if you saw this movie in a movie magazine, that it's going to be commercials on TV and it's going to be playing at my local theater. And obviously, uh, Captain America and Fantastic Four, those are, like, well-known properties. So those are going to be things, you know? It's going to be like going to see Batman, you know? And I was so confused that those new movies never happened. And I was like, to the point where I was like, did I imagine all of that? That is it not real? And then later finding out like all the behind the scene politics and why certain things didn't get released and yada, yada, yada. But yeah. That was my it used to be exposure. so mystifying, like to see a yeah. trailer or even a teaser. And then the movie just like disappeared into the abyss. Right. And you're like, whatever like, happened to that? 
Yeah, like what happened to the Captain America movie? Yeah, and then I later on, we got those you know those cool documentaries and stuff about all that kind of stuff. Right. Which have you ever seen the Captain America movie? Uh, no, not not in its entirety. I have. It's a uh, it's it's in very enjoyable as an oddity relic, and uh, has Ronnie Cox in it playing the president. Wow. And in an interview. Ronnie Cox said that the script remains to this day the finest script I have ever read. How those guys messed that film up, I will never know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, At one point, Dolph Lundgren and Arnold Schwarzenegger were up for the role of Captain America, but that's when it was under a different director as well, you know. So it went through various stages. The script went through various stages and directors and levels of budget and whatnot before... Landing in Pune's hands. Man, that rubber yeah. suit looks awful. Oh my god, it's so bad. Like, it has the fake ears on it for some reason. Yeah, that looks weird. Yeah, and the close-ups and stuff, that's weird yeah. looking. I, I mean, I kind of make sense for, like, faraway shots, but good right. lord. And do you know who uh, plays Captain America? No. George J.D. Wayne? Salinger's son. Oh, weird. Yeah. Anyway, that's a Junior little... Junior Salinger? Yeah, I digress. Um, yeah, that's that's so strange. Um, but yeah, he keeps making all these movies. He keeps putting in effort and whatnot. And a few of them really did hit the mark and were like really good beam movies. And they tend to be know? his sci-fi related yeah. movies. He kind of stuck to a, th- a theme. Yeah. Although I, I will give... Uh, honorable mention to kickboxer 2 watch i've never seen that one well it's uh listen it's kind of stupid it's very corny and sentimental it's about mm-hmm. uh sasha mitchell uh tv's yeah uh what was that guy's the character's name on step by step cody yeah the code man yeah him trying to do a sort of straight-faced role after being like that stupid voice and and personality like being ingrained in my brain it was a tough pill to swallow but he does okay it's like an after school special like he's teaching kids martial arts at like a rundown gym and he's you know trying to make enough money to survive and keep the kids off the streets and from doing drugs and all this stuff and there's a showdown with tong po the villain from the original kickboxer. Right. It's mostly a movie where the fight scenes are pretty cool and brutal and like bloody and gross. And there's some, there's like the, the ultimate, uh, you know, showdown fight at the end is very cool with them in an empty kickboxing arena with a giant American flag in the background. Uh-huh. Uh, it's just stuff like that. It's very cool. Now is Sasha Mitchell, is he playing, uh, is he playing the John Van Damme character or is it more of a spiritual sequel? No, his character is he's like their third brother, right? So like they're the in the original kickboxer, it's the two brothers, it's Van Dam and then the mustache guy. Right. And then this is their third brother who was not in that movie. And he's <laughs> like, Oh, both of my brothers are dead. Like the idea is that <laughs> my favorite part is that uh, Tong Po is so disgraced by his fucking loss in that movie. He just shows up with a gun and, what? Ki- and kills Van Damme in his sleep. Oh, so <laughs> he's, he's like, like he's like, fuck is you, he like, buddy. He's under the covers and just gets blown away. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, well, he's, that I think that was how they hid. Uh, you know how they got away with using a different actor. They were like, we're right. not going to show his face. <laughs> So it's like there's a level of stupidity, but it's also like, you know what? That actually does solve the problem. So good for you. I'm so just looking it's, right a, here. it's an entertaining movie. The screenplay is by David S. Goyer. Yeah. You know, who would go on to write movies like The Dark Knight and oh, the Blade trilogy and yeah. whatnot. So not like, uh, not like somebody who just fell off into B-movie obscurity. No, and that's kind of a... a a thing that uh, occurs over and over again with Albert Pune movies is he caught a lot of folks like at the right in the infancy of their careers, like a lot of talented right. people. 
Right. Like, so he would like when up and comers, he'd be working with them and then those people would move past him and he would just be like, well, see you next time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a very, welcome it's them very into the industry. It's a very interesting career. He made a lot of movies like with uh, Ice-T and Snoop Dogg, you know, like a lot of those movies. I'm sure even people who do not know uh, who Albert Pune is or are familiar with his work, they've definitely been looking through a bargain bin DVD thing and be like, or at a gas station, be like, what the fuck is this movie with Snoop Dogg? And it was probably directed by Albert Pune. Yeah. But yeah, his biggest movie by all accounts is definitely Cyborg, which is Jean-Claude Van Damme's follow-up to Bloodsport. You know, which was a huge hit on a micro budget. Yeah. And, and he's like, Jean-Claude Van Damme is not a huge star at this point, but he's kind of posed as becoming a potential big star. So this is the movie, him and Canon Films, He was who he was kind of contracted to, chose to be his next starring vehicle after uh, after Bloodsport. Yeah, and smartly uh, they, they put him in kind of a uh, Mad Max type. They were like, hey, this is going to do for Van Damme what the Road Warrior did for Mel Gibson. Right. And the plot is like pretty, you know, post-apocalyptic straightforward. There's there's a bit of big plague that's wiped every a lot of the population out. Everything's in shambles. Uh, in fact, actually, I think the world was kind of crumbling. Bef- that's kind of the setup of the plot. The world's kind of crumbling before the plague even shows up. There's like all this like wars and everything's become a third world country. And then the plague shows up and makes it worse. And then there's... These last remaining scientists at the CDC have found a cure, but they have to transport the information. And to the only way place. to do that in is the brain of a, a robot. cyborg. <laughs> Which, what I love about this movie is the movie is called Cyborg, and a cyborg has the least amount of thing to do with anything, and it doesn't even need to be a cyborg. It just could be the scientist herself you know yeah and it's funny too because the cyborg has like a couple of like uh seemingly poignant lines about like where's your humanity and like what do you live for and like the cyborg is asking a lot of existential questions for some reason (laughs) and that's it and that's yeah it's it's an odd choice but i mean so albert pune loves robots he does he loves loves cyborgs yeah apparently like yeah they wanted to make this post-apocalyptic movie for Van Damme, Albert Poon gets hired. Like he was attached to direct a Spider-Man movie. Yeah, he was going to shoot um, a sequel to Masters of the Universe yeah. and Spider-Man at the same time. Both for Canon Films because yeah. they own the rights to those. Like things. an insane person. And that's when the Canon Films was like really trying to like bump up their uh, resume and and become like we're not a B movie studio anymore. We're a big movie studio. We're going to make Spider-Man. And then they ran out of money and <laughs> went back to making B-movies and then went out of business. Yeah, uh, they were uh, they were already in massive debt, so they had to cancel those deals, even though they had spent $2 million on costumes and sets. So Albert right. Pune wrote the story for Cyborg in one weekend. Yes, and used a lot of the sets for Spider-Man and Masters of the Universe yeah. for this movie. And Albert Pune actually wanted, uh, he wanted Chuck Norris instead. Mm-hmm. Wow. Chuck Norris would have just slept through this movie. Oh, absolutely. Can you imagine the fight scenes in this movie with Chuck Norris in it? They would not have been as memorable. They absolutely would not have been, unfortunately. I like some Chuck Norris movies. I think there's there's some movies where he's very well utilized. But yeah, overall, like this is is a Van Damme movie for sure. 100%. So yeah, basic premise is like you got to transport this cyborg across the country to get it to the CDC with the cure. There's all these roving gangs of, uh, you know, brutes walking around and she pirates. gets kid pirates. 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 Are pirates. To as pirates is the script. There are two distinct ki- groups in this wasteland, Elliot. I can't believe that you have, you've forgotten. I'm already. sorry. There are pirates who rape and pillage and steal and murder and cackle while they do it. And then there are slingers. And I don't really know what the slingers are all about, but they S- they have like holsters with knives and they like, yeah. help people uh, travel through the wasteland, I guess. <laughs> they seem to be like, you know, muscle for hire. Yeah, but you never meet any other slingers, really. No. I think. There, you might see one and then he's immediately killed because he's not very good at his job. <laughs> yeah. They're and, also, and- everyone is, ha- I, I have to comment on this, everyone is like hilariously named after... Not even just musical instruments, but like guitars. 
Yes. The so, main character played by Van Damme is Gibson Rickenbacker. And then the main villain is Fender or something. Fender Tremolo. Yeah. And then there's uh, real there's literally a fucking character named Marshall Strat. So I did a little I had never really poked around into the production of Cyborg prior to yesterday. <laughs> Uh, but I found out some interesting things about the production of Cyborg and Albert Pune's original vi- uh, vision for the movie. Because I was always like, this is this is him at his best. And then I found out that uh, he kind of got kicked off of the movie during the editing process. And there is a director's cut that exists somewhere. Uh, yeah, we'll get more into that in a second. It's uh, He released it. Yeah. Yeah. And that cut is called Slinger. It is. And it's got a bunch of janky <laughs> like a, looking nonsense. Like a in guitar it. slinger. So, anyway, yeah. But then, yeah. So, basically, uh, Jean Claude Van Damme's a slinger. The cyborg gets kidnapped by Fender and his pirates. And Fender and Slinger or Gibson, whatever, have history. So, yeah. He's he's tracking them for revenge mainly and then gets caught up in something bigger. Yeah, when Fender was a, a a young pirate, he went to Jean-Claude Van Damme's house and killed his wife. And, and one of his kids and then kidnapped the other one. Yeah, I actually stepchildren, I, but, but I love that little gimmick that they yeah. do where he's like, "Oh, I'm going to tie them up hanging precariously above this well with uh, barbed wire and you got to hang on." And if you can hang on long enough, you can save the people you love. But if you can't, you're going to drop them to their death. Oh, man, it's so cruel and vicious. Well, that's one thing that's about this movie that, like, upon the... So, this was definitely a movie I caught little bits of on TV, you know, in the early to mid-90s. But didn't watch in its entirety till many years later. And upon first viewing, like, it's... I remember it being kind of striking in the sense, like, there's a lot of scenes in it that you wouldn't expect in a movie like this, you yeah. know, where there's not just, it's not just action scene. I mean, there are tons of action scenes, but it's not just, like, action scene, placeholder, action scene, placeholder, action scene, placeholder. All the flashback stuff, the crucifixion scene, these oh, are all mov- these are all scenes that you would not really expect here in this, like, caliber of production normally. Um, and it's very reminiscent of like a better spaghetti Western, you know? Yeah. Uh, upon like having rewatched the movie, you know, a handful of times in the years since it doesn't, you can see the cracks in it a little bit more and it's not as striking because it's, it's now, it's no longer unexpected for, for the movie. Um, but it's still a very good B movie. It has everything about it is like cheap but like well executed on that low budget. Yeah. The score is good. Van Damme is, this is, he's still like, this is what his most wooden of his career in terms of acting. No, but, but he he's still really has a great going pres- for it. Yes. He's really going for it. He has a great presence. And that's the thing about, that's always worked about him, regardless of his various levels of acting skill. He looks good on camera. You he know? also like, he does a great job of like, uh, emoting like, uh, sort of a tortured suffering. Yes. Like he is obviously like miserable all the time. And then also when he sort of uncorks his anger and rage and emotions, like later in some of the fight scenes, it's pretty good. Like it's very convincing and like he he can turn it up when he needs to. And he looks good crucified, you know? Yes. Well, that's the thing. Regardless of his, you know, acting chops, at this stage in his career or any stage in his career, you could argue, but certainly this stage in his career, you know, he had a lot of control over like what his characters were going to be like in his movies, you know, particularly after Bloodsport. And he understood that it's important for your character to go through hell, you know? Right. He had no problem being beaten up and like drugged, dragged through the mud and physically tortured and on the brink of death and defeated, you know, by characters stronger than him. And then he would then rise up essentially from the ashes. Yeah, we've talked you know? about this f- yeah. before, like the sort of the story of Lazarus, right? That that theme is prominent in a lot of his movies. Like we've seen it time and time again. Right. 
where he is, yeah, gets the shit beaten out of him and is on the brink of death and then right. is able to come back. It's not always it's, believable, but man, is it no. always satisfying. <laughs> right. It's 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 the op it's the opposite of like a, a Seagal, you know, who yeah. like has to be like the coolest at least Seagal's like clouded vision of what cool is, you know, which is just a douchebag. Yeah, he has never uh, overmatched in any no, I mean, situation. Maybe in a couple early movies he is, or at least semi like he gets beat up a couple times but like in later movies like nobody lands a blow on him no he's like always out for justice no yeah van damme's ego did not get in the way of his character's character arc you yeah. know and that's what sells it that's what sells the character in this movie is not necessarily his acting but what happens and what it goes through and how he how he allows that to happen to him and he he, he doesn't mind looking defeated you know, in a scene. And that's what really works. And yeah, the crucifixion scene, like you said, like he looks good. He looks like a religious painting. And that whole know? thing like, is like out of an anime. Like the, th- yeah. the fact that it's like a ship's mast and it's like, it's out in the middle of this kind of like, I don't even know what you'd call it, but it feels like, I don't know where they found this location, but it definitely feels like one of those places where like, oh, this used to be the ocean, but the water is, like, sparse and shallow now. Right. Like, the tides don't work like they used to. It has, like, such a cool look to it. And that's a kind of a, overall, like, that's one of my favorite things about it is, like, the look of this future. While now it may not be, like, all that interesting, like, it's something we've seen over and over again, for its mm-hmm. time and for the budget, like, they have some very cool locations. The sewer sequence is very memorable and has a great look to it all these sort of like empty kind of skeletons of like skyscrapers or parking garages whatever they are that they have uh, to shoot in look great and i think work really well for the action sequences yeah and and the matte paintings in this look very much like paintings yeah (laughs) they're pretty obvious but they look like really cool paintings yeah so it doesn't matter you know it doesn't matter that they're fake they have like so much character to them that as a as a schlocky B movie, this is definitely a cut above a lot of things out there, and yeah. So for so many years, I was like, watch this, be like, yep, this is Albert Pune acting at his at his or working at his prime. But then I found out that there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that happened, and uh, originally, uh, so <laughs> the reason why all the characters are named after Qatar's is because he originally envi- envisioned this movie as a heavy metal rock opera and a spiritual uh, cousin of Streets of Fire. Wow. He loved that movie, which I don't sure know if did. you've seen. That movie's not very good, Streets of Fire. Huge studio movie by a big director with stars in it and whatnot, and it was a big flop and is not a good movie. But he loved it. And he originally envisioned the movie as, as such. It had a completely different soundtrack, leaned much more into the like the musical side of things, the gimmick of them being all named after guitars, which is pretty goofy, and then had a very different... Uh, much. I guess there was a lot of stuff cut out of the ending because what happened was is that he had shot the movie, submitted the cut, and then... Van Damme hadn't even seen the movie because he was in it like he was off some doing something else somewhere. And he asked a friend of his, who's the guy who went on to direct him in like Lionheart and uh, Double Impact, to go watch the movie and let, and let him know how it turns out. And he called up, he watched it, he called up Van Damme. He's like, you have to come back right now and you have to stop this movie before it comes out. So then Van Damme comes back and watches it and then offers to pay to have the movie re-edited, re-scored. <laughs> and out of his own pocket because he's just like he's like this is going to ruin my career wow. I and I did watch some I guess they did they did, did some test screens and out of a hundred like they did a test screening and out of a hundred people at the screening only one person liked it like on their card they're like it's good and everyone else was like this is ridiculous it's comical everything's goofy I guess the, the guy who plays the villain and that's not his real voice uh, the entire movie was 80 yard after the fact you can tell you can tell you can tell absolutely uh and then they hired a different actor with a different voice because the other guy's voice just did not i guess match 
the face type of thing uh, and rescored it, recut it, took out as much of the references to instruments and music as they could. And that's the movie like we, that we got up. And some of the people who worked on it too. It was like there was multiple people who recut it to, working together. So I can't remember the director's name, but the guy who did Double Impact, he did most recutting. But uh, Boaz Yakim, who would go on to direct movies like Fresh and Remember the Titans, he uh, re-edited the crucifixion scene. And so there was all these people who all took a little stab in trying to salvage uh, Albert Pune's movie. And if I had known about this, Beforehand, I would have watched, if I had had time, tried to watch the uh, the entirety of his director's cut. But I did watch some like side by side comparisons on YouTube, and even just some of the like shot choices and like editing of the final fight. Like, it's interesting to say the least. So I don't want to pass judgeful judgment on his uh, final product without having seen it. But I guess there was. It wasn't as as much of just him working at his peak that I assumed is what created. No, but that makes me appreciate him even more. Uh, yeah, him being Albert Pune because succeeding despite your shortcomings, right, and a lack of vision and maybe inadequate talent and and skill set for what was needed, like that's awesome. Like I can yes. really appreciate that because I think too much we we don't see that and we don't right. know what the director's shortcomings actually are. And we right. know about all these sort of uh, kind of virtuoso directors like Jim Cameron. And we hear about all of those types of folks, but there are so many movies getting made that aren't, you know, that are plagued by flaws and, and problems and just situations like these. And so who are the people making these movies? At the end of the day, though, you can still give them credit because they did bring something to the table. They did something. Even if someone else took the ball and ran it into the end zone, you know, they still got the the, the ship like three quarters of the way to its destination. No, and that's a really great point because even the guy uh, who re-edited, did the bulk of the re-editing of uh, Cyborg said like, Albert Pune was great on set. He was really good at shooting efficiently and stylistically and I wouldn't he said I wouldn't have been able to re-edit this into a good movie if I didn't have good footage exactly like, so he it, he covered uh enough and shot enough film of yeah of all the stuff that they had something to work with right it's almost like maybe he should have Albert Pune's forte would have been in cinematography rather than directing and editing you know yeah uh, it was so. It wasn't, it wasn't like that. He was devoid of talent. It was just he. He wasn't great at like taking all those pieces and put putting them into a narrative story that made sense or was satisfying or uh, worked narratively. This is still one of the things that we love about him. Is just he kept going and like just for the sheer love of it, regardless of <laughs> output. You know, he's like he's like a he's like a Rudy. It's one of those Rudy uh, type scenarios. It is a Rudy-type scenario. Um, I did see an interview with him where he's talking about, he goes, yeah, there's this period in my career when I was making some of the bigger movies that I made, and you know, and, then, and he goes, I, I would shoot a movie, and then I would cut the movie, and then I would do a viewing for the producers, and then once I showed them what I had done, they got fired, and they bring someone else to recut it. So, like, it seems like the bulk of his stuff throughout the 80s and the early 90s all was taken away from him. Uh, which, I mean, like, once again, love the fact he kept doing, but that maybe should have possibly told you something, you know, that's like, maybe you're not the genius you think you are. Um, but whatever, who cares? I just, I have this feeling that all of his movies, like every time you read something about the pre-production, it's such a wild and windy road yeah. to end up where the the movie ended up. Even just the story and like the concept for each movie, as like simple and basic as it seems, like these things did not start out as we, you know, in the state that we consume them in. It's so amazing. Well, and it's too like you know back to like there's a childlike wonderment to him. You know, when you when you look at him in an interview, but there's also that in his mo- like the plots of his movies 
they sound like plots that like a kid came up with, you know, to some of his stuff. It's like, well, it's about a rock star from space who uh, buys a dinosaur and then that dinosaur becomes a race car driver. You know, it's these ludicrous premises that he takes so seriously and and like they like I said, seem like a kid maybe came up with them, but that's part of the charm. Now, I know you're a big fan of the Nemesis uh, series, and I've never seen any of those. I am not I, a big fan of the series, no. Just of the first one? Just the first one. <laughs> okay. Which kind of has like a lot of similar themes to Cyborg in it, if I'm not mistaken, right? It's very similar in that it's about uh, cyborgs and robots and people fighting robots. <laughs> but that's kind of where it ends. It's a strange movie, but I believe it is one of the most influential action movies that has ever been made. Now, don't people have to see a movie for it to be influential? Yes, and I think the people that it influenced saw it. And I think okay. it was one of those, I call this like the Quentin Tarantino syndrome. And right. Not that it's like a negative necessarily, but like because of his vast knowledge of obscure films, he was able to kind of like crib a lot of like ideas and stylistic choices and just kind of like little things and kind of collage them all together into something new. Right. Right. Because of the, the limited visibility of these things that he cribbed, it seems so fresh and like, you know, like he was bringing a lot of sort of ingenuity and creativity to it. And I think in the case of Nemesis, I think that's the very same because this movie kind of borrows some stuff from other movies, but it also does a lot of things that you haven't seen before. And Such it, and, as? And I haven't seen before. Well, so it takes the idea of like, uh, you know, robots hunting people, right? Cyborgs. Uh-huh. And they're wearing sunglasses and they have big guns. So like a, definitely a Terminator vibe, but they're wearing suits. And like okay. uh, and like jackets, right? They're very well dressed, like G men type things. Yeah. Which that was not something uh, often seen in like these futuristic kind of wasteland type movies, right? The post apocalyptic right. vibe was not like well dressed. Yeah. But that's evident here. And it's it's you can see the influence that would kind of go into uh things like the Matrix. Okay. And then also just the like the gunplay. Um, and kind of action sequence, like there's an action sequence where a character has two machine guns and shoots a hole in the in a floor to escape uh, being killed. And he shoots a hole in the floor, and the floor drops. And then he does this about six more times to like get to the bottom of a building. Yeah. And it's so it sounds very silly, but the way it's shot is very cool looking. And then they also do the. It's hard to describe this. You have to watch the movie to really understand. But, like, they gave the camera to the actor, and he's holding the camera uh, sort of like a wide-angle lens pointed upwards towards his face to capture his reactions as he falls through the floor. And uh-huh. it's such a, like, an exciting and, like, dynamic way to, like, film a character reaction, like, in a close-up. And it's just choices like that that really, mm-hmm. like, set this thing apart. And just explosions, like impossibly large explosions everywhere and like insane gunfights and, you know, people like uh, Brian James and Tim Thomerson are, you know, are playing the evil cyborgs. And then they cast another um, a French-Canadian lead, Olivier uh, Gruner, and he's great. Like he's such a, like a, he's kind of a Van Damme analog, but... He's also very effective in its role. Oh, yeah. He's also in a movie uh, uh, you told me to watch once called Savage. Do you remember this? Did I tell you to watch that one? Yeah. That's like one where he's like a farmer who gets like knocked out. His family gets killed and he gets possessed by like the spirit of like some prehistoric warrior from the future or something. The plot makes no sense. But it. I, it just reminded me of it because it, that movie kind of has the vibe of a Pune movie, even though it's not, you know? Weird. I feel like I told you to watch a different one, but a lot of his movies are exactly the same. 
Yeah, I mean, Savage was the one I ended up watching, so maybe... Janky haircut. I don't know. He's also in this other movie called Heat Seeker, where he's, mm-hmm. like, a, a kickboxer fighting in tournaments, and, like, everyone participating is, like, mostly a robot, and he's, like, the last guy who's only, like, a little bit of a robot. Uh-huh. And it's, all, like, the whole thing is, like, it's, like, the underground, like black market for like cybernetic upgrades and stuff it's like this whole goofy thing wait that's a pune movie too yeah maybe i did tell you to watch savage now that i'm seeing some screenshots uh it's looking more familiar like i said i cannot remember anything about the plot except that there's like some weird he gets somehow gets weirdly possessed by some interdimensional like futuristic caveman that's all I can remember. I remember enjoying it as, you know, as like a time killer for in, on a Sunday afternoon type of thing. So, yeah, you have the, but you back to what you're saying, like you have the, the, um, the, the floor guns thing. And that's, yeah, you'd see that popping up in like the underworld movies later. Uh, are any other specific movies you think that Nemesis directly influenced? Yeah, mostly just the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Make up, make up your mind for yourself. You should watch it. It's about. I'll give it. Uh, I'll give it a shot. I mean, I know this is also regarded as one of like Pune's best movies as well. Is 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 that one? Like that's when people talk about his work. That's it's usually Cyborg, Sword and the Sorcerer, Nemesis. Those are usually the the three that get brought up the most. Yeah, it's just a loud, bombastic, stylish action movie. The story is whatever. It's another one of those, like, oh, the robot thing. I think there's, like, corporate espionage involved, and, like, there's all kinds of character backstories that really amount to nothing, but I don't know. It's pretty cool to look at, I think. Yeah, that's the big thing. There, you know, this is a movie where everyone is wearing sunglasses, and the sunglasses sort of hint at their personality and like what they're all about. That was a very <laughs> fresh and exciting, you know, thing that you so didn't see this, a whole lot of. In movies. this other movie, everyone is going to be named after a guitar, and that guitar is going to signal their personality. And in Nemesis, everyone's going to have sunglasses, and those sunglasses are going to signal their personality. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, what about Dollman? Do you have have you ever seen that? Or have I any have seen Dollman. Yes, Dollman. I have seen very entertaining. I've watched the trailer for Dollman probably about a thousand times, but I've never seen, watched the movie. I'm not like crazy about Tim Thomerson. I think he's a, a perfectly serviceable character actor. The best part of Dollman is the fact that this cop is shrunken down to a very tiny, diminutive size, yet he remains proportionally strong and his his tiny little gun is also proportionally as powerful and so no, wait does, does he get shrunk down because i thought the plot was that he's or maybe from he's plan- from a yeah he's from a different a, a different dimension where everyone's small no because the way like the the trailer sets it up is like he's on a it's like some planet you know far away and it's like he's the toughest bounty hunter cop on his planet, everyone's afraid of him. But on Earth, he's only 13 inches tall. Yeah, that's it. Something like Which, that. I remember uh, there was a movie with Sinbad that had the exact same plot. Uh, Sinbad and Ben Savage. Was it called Kazam? It was called Aliens for Breakfast. Hmm. Well, the point is, when he shoots a guy with his tiny little gun, it makes a hole the size of a human fist. Which is that's amazing. Hilarious. Well, it's a it's a it's a alien like laser gun, right? No, I think it's just like a three fifty seven Magnum. <laughs> like a it's a normal little... gun. <laughs> that's why it's funny. <laughs> Wait, is he a tiny guy holding a normal sized gun? Or is no, he just no, it's a... still the yeah. the right size compared to his body. But okay, yeah, it's good stuff. He also gets a lot of praise for, like I was saying, like. I was kind of joking about like the the trench coats and the sunglasses and stuff. He gets a lot of praise for being one of the first guys to sort of combine the post-apocalyptic future with uh kind of the 1950s 
like hard-boiled detective aesthetic. Mm. And, and even though that was kind of done in uh, like Blade Runner. Kind of done or like very much done? Well, you know, no one in Blade Runner was wearing like... Sunglasses? Or like full suits and like, I don't know, maybe there was a character wearing a fedora, but I mean... Uh, in the movie Radioactive Dreams, he's literally got people going to like fifties diners and driving around yeah. old timey cars, and they're like they're dressed to the to the t. Like it has that very much like you know we we see that a lot now. But yeah, I mean in in Cyborg, the cyborg at one point is referred to as a skin job, which is taken straight from Blade Runner. Oh wow, yeah. But which one came out first? Uh. Blade Runner. But did it? Yes. Or are you just experiencing the Mandela effect? No, by by years. By, by years. a country mile? By a good... by a good too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The same year you got me. We sure got you. <laughs> All right. I don't know. Do you have any other movies of his you want to mention? I mean, he, right prior to his de- death, he his wife said that he, he, he would like to hear from his fans... And hear the positive things about his movies from his fans, you know, whatnot. He give him some comfort in his last dying days. And it seemed only right with his passing to, you know, give the guy, you know, not to, you know, praise him as a, some sort of genius that he wasn't, but to give him credit where credit is due, you know, as a movie lover who made movies. Yeah, and I think that's that's definitely, like, the story of his career. Very sad passing of Albert Pune. Yeah, rest in peace, Albert Pune, and thank you to Albert and all the creative folks out there who like him, who their legacy, while you know inconsistent or whatever you want to call it, there's a reason that we remember his movies, and there's a reason that his movies have stuck with us throughout the years. Right, and we might, re- you and I, or people like you and me, might remember mo- people and directors and actors and movies that no one else is going to. But even still, it's all tiered, right? There's stuff that we'd be like, nah, uh, it's whatever. There's a charm, there's a spark, there's the passion, and it's making movies for the love of the game. So. Or true trash heap original right there. Yeah, I don't know what else to say. Oh yeah, sorry we cut uh, we cut Sly Ember a little short. Yeah, we realized that uh, the the next Sly Sylvester Stallone episode would be out after November, so the whole Sly Ember theme didn't really make any sense. Plus, this seemed much more appropriate and uh, worthy of an episode. Yeah, this is yeah, it seemed seemed pretty important to make a gesture and say our piece about uh, the man and his legacy. Yeah, so hats off to him. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. Keith, what do you always say? Uh, I don't have a goofy quote this time, so Perfect. I'm just going to say, until next time, the dumpster's closed. Goodbye, everybody. Everybody go back to doing what you were doing.